basically the inception and we stumbled and failed immediately in all sorts of ways. Right. Um, there was a lot of crying. We didn't really hurt each other. It was just a painful experience. Um, experimenting with that, with no community, with no framework, with no resources at all, just this feeling that we wanted to be with each other and we wanted to be with other people at the same time, which wasn't allowed. There was a lot of shame to work through. Um, but it's been almost, yeah, 12, 13 years now. Yep. And, uh, we've found our footing, but it took a while. Welcome to normalizing non-monogamy the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 208. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have... Why are you smiling at me? I was just, we're having an intense discussion about waxing. <laughs> right, anyway. right before we hit record, we're just talking about waxing. Yeah, that's true. Okay, anyway, today we talk to Allie and Did we Michael. say episode 208? Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> Welcome said, to episode 208, everyone. I said everyone. it's episode 208. I said, well, we're Finn and Emma, and today we talk to Allie and Michael. They spent quite a bit of time talking to us about the initial conversations they had around opening their relationship 13 years ago, and then their journey through exploring swinging, polyamory, kink, and how now they identify more as ethically non-monogamous because that kind of that term encompasses everything else. Um, We have a wonderful conversation with them and a major thread throughout this whole time is shame and how to manage shame feelings, especially around non-monogamy. Well, and even you'll hear at one point Michael saying that he basically, this, this whole experience feels so good and like they're in such a good place that he doesn't really have room for shame in his life anymore. And I think that's pretty much like the ultimate goal. Um, Right. So- yeah, fantastic conversation. Thank you to both of them uh, for everything they shared in this discussion. And a quick shout out. The the way we found Allie actually was the article she wrote uh, on Cosmopolitan about polyamory. And when we started digging into it, read a bunch of her other articles, and we really loved her approach to it. Um, and sort of one of the quotes that, that she says in this episode is that she feels like we have we deserve to have our stories represented from the inside not the outside and she's going to talk about this really in the first couple of minutes about how her mission is to create valuable content for people who are in non-monogamous relationships or maybe who are looking to explore them rather than the clickbait porn that's just trying to I don't know, sensationalize what we do. And so we're really, really thrilled that we've gotten in contact with her and got their story out there. So thank you to them. Thank you to Allie for the work she does and definitely check it out. There are links in the show notes on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Just click on the podcast tab or in the show notes of your podcast player, and you can see links to all of her articles in Cosmo about non-monogamy. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend them. Go check them out. Go check them out. Before we jump into the interview, we do have our normal announcements. First up, 
A huge thank you to our Patreon community. We are so incredibly grateful for your support in the community of each other and also of us. It's incredible. If you're out there looking for community, uh, please check out our Patreon community. We have an ongoing Mimi chat men's and women's group calls, and a monthly Q&A. You can find more information on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. I just want to say 180 people can't be that wrong. Right? Right? And I just wanted to extend my gratitude as well. So thank you to all of you for your support of one another and helping each other as you navigate non-monogamy and open relationships and just honestly life. Yes. So yeah, thank you all. Also, if you're looking for community, but you don't necessarily want to join Patreon, we have meet and greets. We have a couple of virtual meet and greets coming up later this month on November 17th. And again, on November 20th, we're doing two of them this month, Emma. Yeah, I know. Two of them. Woohoo! One on a weekday and one on a weekend. Both are from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern and both are open to anyone who wants to join. Just go. To, you have to be open-minded. That's the requirement. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community tab to find out all the information about the virtual meet and greets. And we have our next upcoming in-person meet and greet scheduled, which is really exciting. And that's going to be on February 7th, 2022 in New Orleans. Yeah. So that's far enough out that you have zero excuses to not be there. I don't care where you're coming from. <laughs> you have like three months, exactly, almost three months exactly yeah. to get your ass to New Orleans and be there. So we're actually taking over an entire bar. Uh, the bar is normally closed on Monday. We got in touch with the owner and he's like, hell yeah, I'll open it up. And so we're going to do that. It's going to be fantastic. We're super excited about it. And I want to say, if you haven't listened to the episode, oh damn, I should have looked it up with Ryan. <laughs> we should have looked it up. We yeah. will say that in the outro. We'll say the episode number in the outro, or you can go look it up in our show notes. It'll be in the show notes. But anyway, Ryan, who knows everybody in New Orleans, <laughs> everybody in New Orleans who's not monogamous. Yeah is helping us put this together. And so this this is going to be amazing. Yeah, we're I'm, super, I'm super, super excited. excited. So a huge thank you to Ryan and all of his people. Yes. And you can sign up for that now on our website by going again to the normal our website, normalizingnominami.com, clicking on the community tabs, and you can find the in-person meet and greets right there. Yeah. And while you're there, we would just love to hear from you please send us an email, send us a voicemail, tell us what you think of us, tell us how you're doing, tell us a little bit about yourself, come on the show. If, you're saying, if you want to come on the show, yeah, reach give out. Give us your lottery picks for this week. <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to do, we would love to hear it. We will respond. I also wanted to say, if you've emailed us and we have not responded, that's not what happened. It's probably in your spam folder. Yes. We've actually found out lately that some of our emails are getting uh, marked as spam. That's not the case. We don't spam you. And occasionally we also get an email that we can't respond to. Like the email address doesn't work. So yeah, well, that's their fault. A hundred percent their fault. <laughs> so if you don't hear back from us, email us again and be like, Hey, I didn't hear back from you. And also go check your spam folder. <laughs> Those are the steps, but not in that order. Check your spam folder. <laughs> and then email, then email us email again. Us. All right. With that, we just want to remind you, show notes for every single episode that we publish are on our website at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast tab or in your podcast player show notes little section, you will see all of the information for and links to any resources we talk about, plus photos and more information about all of our guests there. Yeah, I think that's it. I let's, think that's it. Let's go talk to Allie and Michael, and we'll see everybody on the other side. Let's go. I will let you start since no. I already stole. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, fine. Well, Allie and Michael, welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you here. And we were just, um, it actually started talking to you just a few days ago, um, because Allie published an article in Cosmopolitan about ethical non-monogamy and mentioned our podcast and we got connected that way. And we're super excited to talk to you. Yay. We're super excited to be here. Um, I'm Allie, my husband, Michael. We've been together for almost 17 years and non-monogamous for 13 of those. Um, and yeah, love writing about non-monogamy, love practicing non-monogamy <laughs> and uh, super stoked to be here on your podcast. Yeah. And I think one of the things that was really exciting is you write from the first person, your experiences rather. And one of the things you said when we reached out was like, you're trying to write by non-monogamous people for non-monogamous people, not just writing clickbait porn, um, trying to get... <laughs> trying to just stir up drama. And I think <laughs> as people who have been doing this a while, we appreciate that perspective. So thank and you that for effort, that. We, yes, very much I, so. I think that's something that w we certainly ran into as consumers of non-monogamy content right. was that um, we found that it was really centered around the monogamous perspective of let's look at this, this subculture and how strange it is. And uh, it, it, disrespected the entire experience so much that I actually worried that people consuming that content would then eventually, like many people do want to experiment with non-monogamy and go into it from this total like circus, like joining the circus perspective. Um, and so I felt like as a, as a writer, as a journalist, I had an opportunity to uh, speak about ethical non-monogamy from a, from a place that centered the non-monogamous experience rather than creating entertainment for the monogamous world. And I, I think good writing should be entertaining, but there's also a chance for it to be educational and the existing content from the, from written by monogamous people wasn't doing that. So that in, in fact, I also think that it was a little othering in terms yeah. of how, how it's been, you know, like, look at, look at these weirdos. <laughs> like I, in fact, I just saw an article reposted yesterday or the day before that was from a long time ago, um, about a, a non, you know, a, a swingers trip. And, I, every time I see it, I get a little annoyed or a lot annoyed because it just seems so, um, it, it, it it's not treating, um, non-monogamous folks as it is treating us as freaks, which we're not, you know, it, it, I kind of think that everyone else is a little weird, you know, <laughs> for trying to stick with, with, you know, not practicing it, but it, it's, yeah, yeah. when, when, when that, when looking at a subculture dehumanizes those people, I don't think that it's effective journalism. And I, yeah, so that, that was kind of my, my thinking that we talked about, which was that we deserve to have our stories represented from inside, not from outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we completely agree. And I think to, to one of your points earlier that like it, good writing should still be entertaining. I think this non-monogamous adventure we're on is entertaining all by itself. You yeah. don't need, <laughs> you don't need to add bells and whistles. It has enough of them built in. So right. I, yeah, I, bells I and whistles are the, are the perk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to, to have to go above and beyond to, to right. jazz it up is, is unnecessary in a lot of <laughs> Yes, so. definitely. I fully agree. Fully. So, how did you two get into it um, and when and what did that look like since sounds like your resources were the same as ours back in the day? Yeah, non-existent. <laughs> I, I really would like to hear your story as well. I think yeah. this is one of my favorite things about being in non-monogamous spaces is hearing how people came to it and embraced it. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday, making sure that we uh, we you. agreed on the story because it was so long ago at this point. 
But basically, uh, we were in college. It was the time of experimentation. I should back up. We'd been together since high school. I was a sophomore. He was a junior. Uh, We were each other's first everything. And um, then we went to college. He was a year ahead of me, but we went to the same school. And pretty quickly, I realized I was very horny. And I wanted to uh, experiment just like any college kid would. Uh, but I also really loved Michael and I knew I wanted to be with him since when, when we first started dating. And so I, I knew I had those feelings. I had no words. I had no language for those feelings, but I, I knew how I felt, which was that I wanted both things and I wanted them equally. And so we, I asked him to our favorite sushi restaurant, <laughs> a nice neutral territory. And I said, I, ba- I basically said that I want to be with you forever. I also want to know what it's like to be with other people. What do you think about doing both of those things? I didn't know open relationship. I didn't know polyamory. I didn't know ethical non-monogamy. Right. I don't even know if that term was in use yet. This was uh, 2009. I, I, I honestly think my only exposure to it was through like the Facebook uh, uh, relationship status. Uh, yeah. I remember they had an open thing, and I was like, open, like "That's what right. Is that? That's like, right. That, that's a thing. Like, What's an people open do that." Like, <laughs> but also through you know awful pop culture references of failed marriages opening and failing. And, um, we'd probably heard about swinging, but again, only in as a, as a negative media reference. So that was basically the inception and we stumbled and failed immediately in all sorts of ways. Right. Um, there was a lot of crying. We didn't really hurt each other. It was just a painful experience. Um, experimenting with that, with no community, with no framework, with no resources at all, just this feeling that, we wanted to be with each other and we wanted to be with other people at the same time, which wasn't allowed. There was a lot of shame to work through, um, but it's been almost, yeah, 12, 13 years now. Yep. And uh, we've found our footing, but it took a while. Yeah. yeah no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say it was it, from my perspective, joining into it, it was definitely a little tough for me to begin with because I wasn't really practicing on my end as much. It was more on her end. Um, I had the libido. <laughs> so for me, you know, society and everybody was telling me, oh, you know, this is like, you, you should be really upset about this. Like this is, you know, the, like the ultimate betrayal or whatever. And it was the, the, the hardest part for me was not actually feeling those feelings, but wrestling with why I did not feel those feelings. Yes. Cause he was into it. He was turned on by it. Um, and that was, that was the part that felt wrong because society says you're not supposed to like that. Yeah. And I, I should be jealous and angry. And I was like, no, I, I don't feel this, but like everybody tells me I should. I'm like, is, am I not in a real, real relationship yeah. or like, what is this? And it, it that definitely was the hardest part to begin with for me. I, I never really had any like jealousy issues or any of the, the things that you'd kind of think of when it comes to, to beginning, uh, you know, dipping your toe into that, the world of ethical non-monogamy. But, um, that, that certainly was my struggle. But we knew the ethical part was really important because there's a lot of cheating in my family from the men in particular. And I know I knew how I saw how much pain the, the lying caused, the betrayal caused. And I never, ever wanted to pretend that I didn't want to be with other people and, and have that experience. So I was very forthright about it, uh, probably more forthright about that than anything else as a teenager. But um, yeah, I, I figured it was better to just not repress it even though society did say, shove those feelings down, do not deal with them. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of our, our very rocky start, but <laughs> it bloomed into something very nice. So we're happy. Yeah. And thank you for sharing all of that. I think I, Allie, I, 
I think you're very brave in that <laughs> moment to bring it up. Like it, that's hard to do, especially at that age. Yeah, and, absolutely. and to just go for it and be like, well, if I'm not going to, if I don't do this, I'm, I realize I'm not going to necessarily be true to myself and I may not yeah. know how to do this, but at least have, I need to start the conversation. Yeah. I think sometimes with, with all manner of sexuality and, and gender expression and, and any personal expression, you reach this boiling point where the truth simply needs to come out uh, and the consequences will be what they are. And it surpasses that feeling of, oh, I shouldn't, I should keep this down. I should keep this repressed. Uh, but but yeah. it, it's almost like it came out of me. It moved me because it was such a, it was so important. And I'm glad that I did because it resonated with you and it, it's, it's a, an important part of our relationship now. Right. Um, but it, at the time it was like, it was almost robotic. It was like, I need to say this. It has to be said. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you, you touched on, we read a handful of your articles and you'd said that when you, when you had this conversation, I, w- I would love to hear more about how the conversation went on your end because yeah. <laughs> that conversation was similar to the conversation that Emma and I had in a, okay. in a very similar time. So, Age, yeah. uh, so okay. I would love to hear how that conversation went because a lot of the, the reasonings behind it are similar and we'll, we'll, we're happy to share ours for anyone yeah. who hasn't yeah. listened to that. So. Well, I, it was a long time ago and I've been trying to remember the details. I wish I'd written a diary entry or something, but as, as I recall it, we were sitting at our restaurant and it was a booth set up. So we we're facing each other and I, I just put it out there. I said, what would you think about, being in a relationship and also sleeping with other people or um, experimenting with other people. And as I recall, you, you've like thought about it for a little bit and said, sure, we can try it. And that was kind of the end of it. We didn't discuss how it would work, the details, specific people. I did have yeah. someone in mind, but I, it was um, not something I even knew how to navigate. So it wasn't about that guy specifically. Uh, but yeah, I don't recall us having an in-depth conversation about it at that moment. No, it was just like, here's a topic. We both agreed to try it. That's enough that, for today. <laughs> that really, that that really was kind of how it it went down. I, I, yeah. I actually remember fairly well. Oh, sort of. I mean, do tell. <laughs> I, I mean, I, rem- I guess what I should say is I remember my my reaction fairly well. Okay, um, and all that because I remember when you asked, I at first was a little taken aback because it was so different. And we, we had never talked about it before. No, exactly. It was just like a brand new thing. And again, like, like I was saying a minute ago, like, I was like, wow, this is like, not what's quote unquote <laughs> supposed to, to be. But at the same time, I was like, this, this is fine. I was like, the, the reason that I was thinking for a second was I was kind of trying to search myself and see like, do I feel jealous? Like, how do I actually feel about this? As like, I, I was, I wasn't really thinking as much as I was like feeling, <laughs> Um, you know, there was nothing for me to kind of logic through. Um, so I was just kind of gauging my feelings and I was like, you know, I actually don't feel bad about this at all. I think that this is worth a try. I think that, you know, that one, like we've been together at that point, it'd been four years, which is a lot for teenagers. Right. Yeah. For for us, yeah. Like an eternity, right? We had survived (laughs) his freshman year of college while I was still in high school without any cheating incidents or like drunken craziness right exactly and so i was like you know this we've been together for a while which is not as much now but i was and i was like i, I trust her like it, this is the thing is that I, I trust that she will come back you also knew i was really and, horny yeah, yes i did and, <laughs> <laughs> he needed a break he needed yeah. a little break i mean a little bit he needed assistance well yeah maybe but but it, but I, I was like i trust that, that that our relationship is deeper than just the sex part and if it isn't, then it isn't. Yeah. And that was like, 
my kind of like worst case scenario, I was like, yes, it would suck. But also like, if this is what undoes us, then like maybe we weren't really like that close to begin with. You know, I, I, I truly believe that the, the worst part about cheating, like Ali was saying a minute ago is like the deception and the lying and all of that. And the sex is just, is sex. Like it, you know, it, it could mean something deeper to the, the cheaters or whatever, but for me, it, it really isn't. It's just like a fun thing that people do. And so, and, and of course it's, it's like something that we share together and we have deeper meaning. But at, the, at that to. moment, we didn't outline what it was going to look like. Were we going to be doing things together? We didn't know. We didn't know what the options were. Of yes. course, coming from a monogamous place, you're thinking, what are the rules around this? Uh, and not that you're now getting to create your own rules and boundaries and, and framework for a relationship and that there's a lot of freedom in that we weren't, it was just, now we could also sometimes be with other people. But I remember at that, at that conversation thinking, if he says no, then that's the end of it. Then we'll stay together and be together. And that's not a bad consolation prize. Right. But I was very happy when you were open to it. But of course, immediately I felt guilt of he's just doing it because otherwise he thinks he'll lose me. Um, and so I had, I had years of guilt to work through in that regard because I was so conditioned to think, especially by, by people close to me that, you were just doing things as a concession to my feelings yes. as opposed to genuinely being interested in it. So it's good to hear what your, your thought process was because at obviously sitting there, that was internal for you. Right. And then you, then that brought you to a, a, a yes place, but th- we didn't have a, a super in-depth dis- discussion about it. Like I said, it was, uh, it, we were kids, you know, and, um, yeah, we were just dig- we, digging in the dirt to find a, a piece of gold. <laughs> right, exactly. We we didn't really have any super in-depth discussions about it until we like launched into it. And a few years later. We were kind of doing the like learning by doing thing. Yeah. Which was I think one of our bigger stumbles was that we weren't seeking out a community, we weren't seeking out we didn't know like minded people. Because we were coming from a place of shame, the assumption was everyone else is also doing this in the shadows and no such community exists. And we're this is from San Francisco. You know, we're we're not coming from a small town. We are coming from a very liberal, progressive area where you would think access to this way of thinking would be a little more commonplace. Um, and it, and it wasn't at all. So it was, uh, it, we were definitely babes in the wood, woods. And so when, well, I want to come back to like when, when you went from that conversation at sushi to like, <laughs> now we have to like, we have to like do this for real. Like yeah. that's, that's a big, that's a big step. But I, the one piece I did want to comment on that was similar was one of the things that the, that you wrote was that you hadn't talked about non-monogamy, but you had talked about how you didn't want to limit each other's life experiences. And that was a big thing for for Emma and I, when we had this conversation Um, and I was the one who brought it up and, and it was largely the same logic, which is yes, there, there wasn't anybody in mind that I, that I had, but um, it was, we were studying abroad at the time and we were like the first time we were really like, out and doing things and yeah. we were kind of like i this is all new yeah there's so right. many other new things including right. like new people like yeah and i don't want you to be limited and i don't want to be limited so how do we do this together and i think that I mean, was we were a 22 yeah, 20 we were, as well like i was like, only 19 oh yeah 19 no. and 20 but, you know, so that's we were the same 19 <laughs> and 20 yeah it's it's so it's when you're that age you're like well these things like is there a way to do this where we don't yeah. limit each other's experiences, but Hey, we want to still be together. And right. so it's, 
it's mind boggling. And like in that moment of, especially if you like with no exposure whatsoever of any, anything else, you're like, is this like, is this a thing (laughs) when you don't have the words for it and you're trying to create it on your own? It's, but you feel, you can feel what you want. It's just that there's not, um, yeah, there's not a structure around it. I remember being 16. So we, we had just, we'd been dating for a year or whatever. And I was in the car with a friend and her mom. We were driving to San Francisco. I remember it very clearly. We were just about to get to the Golden Gate Bridge. And she, Michael and I had been together like a year or something at this point, which was a long time for a high school relationship. And she said, you need to break up with your boyfriend and go kiss as many other boys as possible. Because I had been saying that I really loved him. And I wanted to be together. And I got pissed off. I was like, one, don't tell me how to run my life. I may be a kid, but I, I know what I'm doing. I know what I feel. I know I want to be with him. And then the second part of this like little voice in my head said, why not both? <laughs> why can't, why not stay with the boyfriend and kiss all the other boys? But I, I had no way to articulate it. Certainly not in the backseat of a friend's mom's car. Um, but there was that little, little, little seed planted of like, I, what about both? I, I think it was very, I think non-monogamy was who I was well before we even discussed it. Because I remember when you first asked me out, that triggered a bunch of other boys asking me out because <laughs> high school. And I was like, well, I want to say yes to all of them. What does that mean? I don't, I don't understand why I have to say yes to just one. Um, I need to think about that. And then, yeah, that kind of came, uh, made itself a little more clear in college. But there were a couple of moments in high school that made me, upon reflection, I realized I've been non-monogamous the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. And so... You leave sushi. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. what, how does it actually, like, what actually happens from there? Because that's a big step to go from, yes. yeah, we can try this to, like, hey, we're trying this. Yeah. Um, do you remember? I remember. No, I don't remember yeah. at all. Actually. So long ago. <laughs> so what happened was, that was, I think that conversation was November 2009. And at this point, I had been planning a Euro trip for the, the following summer. I'd gotten a job. I was saving up to do... Um, to, I, there, I was a, a pre-veterinary student, so there weren't study abroad opportunities. So I had just emailed a bunch of veterinary clinics in Denmark. Uh, my mom had a friend with a house there. And I just emailed them until I found one willing to let me work there for free for experience. Wow. And uh, so I wanted to go to Europe for the summer in lieu of a proper study abroad experience. But I think, you know, the, the, the prospect of going to Europe, traveling in Europe, is a very tantalizing one as a, as a cute young 19 year old. Um, and so this conversation was in November. We didn't do anything about it until that summer, the following summer when I went to Europe. Really? Yeah. Oh, I think I thought it was that, that other dude in Davis. Remember? Yes. I thought that was the late. I thought thought that that was, that was the next year. Maybe it was. I don't know. (laughs) I, I believe the first thing that, yeah, I remember the first thing that happened was that summer I kissed an Australian boy at a hostel and then cried to you on the phone for an hour. I forgot about that. It was like a dollar 50 a minute for the, for the phone. And I cried and cried. I, I kissed this boy. He was the worst kisser in the world. It was maybe all of half a second. And, uh, but that was my first time kissing anyone or being with anyone in any way after since we had started dating in high school so i had this freak out what have i done i've destroyed our relationship it's over i've cheated on him that's the only way to describe what's happened right. you 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 consoled me and that was the first of many consolations of uh, me being sad with other people and uh that was the first one and then when we came back to school that semester i did sleep with someone else for the first yeah. time but um 
the first thing was yeah many months later. So we planted the seed. I had had someone in mind, but it wasn't like something that was necessarily going to develop. And it didn't, um, because there's also a lot of like, you're in a relationship. Why would we hook up? And because initially, because I, there was so much shame about it, I would either tell people we had broken up and lie about it, which I is not ethical. Um, or, downplay the strength of our relationship. These were not with other non-monogamous people because that wasn't a thing. And uh, I didn't have a, I wasn't very good at going about it or being honest about it. So when we were in Europe, those conversations simply didn't come up. Um, I don't think this boy would have cared anyway, uh, the hostile <laughs> boy. But yeah, that was the first time we did anything about it. And, we, and then we had to work through those feelings for a long time because I felt so much guilt. Right. Um, I, how did you feel? Do you remember that phone call? Yeah, I thought I, I, I thought it was silly that you were... I mean, not silly because that's downplaying how you feel, but like I just had no... You weren't upset. No, not at all. So I had no no reason to, to do it. And I, th- I, I thought you were being kind of like, I was like, no, this is what we talked about. Like, yeah. you don't need to, to worry about this. You know, we, we asked about this. I don't, I really, really don't care. But again, it was that lack of community, lack of resources. I just dove in head first and then had to deal with the, the outcome of that. Um, and that, that was, uh, it was, I, it, I struggled. Well, and when you jumped on the plane for that summer, did you have the conversation of like, Hey, while you're gone, feel free to do whatever you Absolutely. want. Yeah. And while and I can do whatever I want and you know, vice versa. Like and or were there were there guidelines or was it just like have a summer, enjoy your time and we'll we'll I figure think it, it was out. Have a summer. Yeah, the, I, I I remember distinctly that we did not have any like ground rules or guidelines or anything. I mean, it was still in in fact it, it, we like, I think only barely touched on it before you left for the summer anyway. I, I, I remember before that trip, I practiced drinking because I hadn't, I was a very studious college student. I wasn't a partier. And so I, I had a uh, tequila one night to practice what it would be like to drink in Europe. Um, yeah, I was a smart kid. Um, and well, especially if you're drinking with Australians, they're, yeah. they're fucking professionals. They are, so. Yeah. And he was my age. He was much better at drinking than I was. Uh, but alcohol certainly helped uh, with the situation at the time in terms of courage to actually do it. But uh, yeah, that we ha- I think we had a conversation of like, we're going to go to enjoy- Europe and enjoy ourselves. And then he joined me for the latter half of the trip. So we, we were also together in Europe because you were studying in London and you had the same kind of carte blanche. Um, yeah. I, I think the understanding was that we would talk to each other about it. Obviously, yeah. no- nothing would be kept hidden. Um, but after my experience at the hostel, I think we had some hesitation after that of like, maybe we need to slow this down or pull it back or just not focus on it so much because at no other point on that trip, did I kiss any other hostel boys? No. So, yeah. I remember that you yeah. said that at first you're like, Oh, I didn't like that. And like, I'll, I had to yeah, process yeah. it and you, and you, and you processed it along with me. I mean, uh, because we set out on this journey with more focus on me and less focus on you, uh, in terms of other people. Um, I think you were fine taking that step back. Yeah, absolutely. That was what we commu- we were communicating to each other that like we needed to, um, yeah, process everything after that was such a difficult experience for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how did you, I guess, move forward in that? Like you said, you af- it got better. Yeah, after Europe. <laughs> um, I think we have always had pretty open and and solid communication. And so I think we just talked about it a lot until we reached a point where we felt like 
we were good again. Well, I think that the big, the big thing was that I had to convince you that I wasn't upset Yeah, because, because that was what you felt so guilty about was that you must be upset. Right. Exactly. That like everything is telling her that, Oh, I should be like furious about this. I I remember there was, this is sort of a tangent, but it's it's related. There was a a birthday party, uh, one of her birthday parties that we went to. That and, year? No, no, no. This was after college. Oh, my twenty third birthday. Yeah, and I know, you know I, yeah. we, we all had a good time, and she ended up making out with somebody. No, two people at the same time. Okay, two people. Two, uh, two people who weren't him uh, at the same time. And I was just like, I, I was just having a fine time or whatever. And one of our friends that was there that was not part of any any lifestyle at all saw this and like lost it. They were so they ran upset. up to me and said, yeah. Michael's left. He saw what you did. He's, and he, they didn't know we were non-monogamous. Yeah. So he saw what you did and he's left. And he was outside. I think you were talking with someone who was smoking a cigarette. Yeah. I was and just I, like, I ran outside. outside. I was like, Michael, why are you so upset about me making out with them? And you were like, you did. I, yeah. I don't care. Like, was it fun? Like, you, you, <laughs> yeah. were, you were not worried at all, but someone who saw it was very, and uh, that, very that's, upset. that's how I have kind of always felt. And so, yeah, that that was you know kind of like what what she was dealing with with all of this you know, like all this guilt and I had to convince her no it was okay and I think you had to work through your I mean I'm not I had to work to through you, I but. had to work through my shame for sure and so I think when we were back back in school back together um, we were just able to communicate that I was interested in trying this again yeah because I think that the ulti- even though the it, the first experience was not necessarily a great one it still was very much a yeah. part of who we it are was, it so. was bad enough where we felt like uh, the it was a bad enough experience where I thought maybe we shouldn't do this again but again that natural feeling came back that said keep trying keep doing it that you'll you'll like this um, that little voice in my head and I think that gave me the courage to continue talking about it and say that experience in, um, in Europe didn't phase me from continuing to try. Um, yeah, I, I almost wish we had written down all of our discussions about this because I do think it, this is important for people to know that it, it wasn't just perfect straight out of the gate. It, it took years of, of these sort of stumbles um, until we found our stride. And this was yep. certainly one of them is how do you pick back up after a bad experience in the lifestyle? Yeah. And, and just talking a lot about it. <laughs> That's right. how I th- I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right. And was there like a pivotal moment that it kind of shifted from like, this is obviously what we want. We want to try this and it's difficult to like, holy shit. We like, it feels right now. Like we're doing it the way that we feel like it should be done. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, I think there probably were a couple, I mean, at least for me. Um, the, the first one was when we, after college, when we went back to San Francisco, we got involved in the BDSM scene there. And while I, we, we have our feelings about our time with that, seeing a, com- a community of people that are at least similar to us was mm-hmm. a big step for me. Um, I was able to be like, okay, there's one, there are other people that do non-traditional things. Uh, and two, there's like a whole community of them so that, you know, any, anything that you're into under the, under the sun, you probably can find somebody. I think it it was, we, we, yeah, for, I, I don't remember exactly how we entered the kink scene. Honestly, I think it had to do with 50 shades of gray. I saw the worldwide reception of it in such a positive way. 
that I saw or it was so accepted as something appropriate to, to consume, to read. And I thought, oh, it, maybe it's okay for me to step outside of the box a little bit more. It wasn't necessarily that I was inspired by the book, but I was inspired by the reaction to it. It made me feel like maybe it's not such a shameful thing for me to engage in a non-traditional relationship dynamic. Um, but yeah, we, we started going to meetups and munches and, and things with the, the BDSM scene. And after about a year of that, we found that we were not really kinky, uh, I ide- kink identified, like there are certain things we like, but we didn't, it, I wasn't really, neither of us were really into the, the, a lot of the BDSM practices going on, right. but the BDSM community had a very natural element of non-monogamy to it. People were switching partners. There was a lot of non-monogamy going on and we really, uh, fastened onto that as something we identified right. with. So we ended up exiting the kink scene, but we did find that being, uh, friends with people who didn't question the nature of our relationship was actually a really, uh, wonderful space to be in that the, the, a lot of the, these people were just our friends and we weren't playing with them. We didn't have any kind of sexual or kink relationship with them, but we also didn't have to pretend we weren't who we were. <laughs> yeah. And that was an r- incredible feeling. We really liked that. So mm-hmm. I would say that was, yeah, around when I was 22, 23 was when we really started to realize, okay, we can identify with this in a, in a more sincere way. Um, for me at least. Yeah. Michael, you mentioned that there might be a couple of those points for you. Yes, actually. So then the the other, the other big point was probably, um, the first time we went to Hito in Jamaica, uh, and recent, that was 2019. Yeah. And we discovered that we don't necessarily have to, you know, there, there are other ways to do non-monogamy. And for me, at least I, a lot, the, the sex is only a part of it for me. Uh, I think that the amount of kind of freedom and camaraderie it, within the space is like another huge part for me. And so going to just like this massive week long party and like making friends was something where I was like, oh, okay, like I get this even more. And it was again kind of that same feeling of of um finding the community like we did with the BDSM scene, but the people were a lot more like me in terms of what they were after. Uh, there was a lot of more like um cuckoldry and and the the love of seeing your partner with someone else right in front of you. I'm not saying that that was your only thing. It was just that typically for the years between the kink scene and Hito I was often just going on dates by myself and you weren't part of it. Well, yeah, yeah, d- definitely. Um, but it was, it, it, it was really refreshing to me to see all the communication. That was a big, a, like a big part to me because the, our time in the BDSM scene in San Francisco had some moments that were like not great. And it was due to communication, not, not between us, but just in general. Uh, without, it was very hierarchical. Yeah. Without getting into the politics of it. Yeah. And so I was like, this is a lot more equalizing. There is a lot more just like straight up communication between couples, between couples that want to swap between everything. And I kind of, that, that really resonated with me. And a strong, strong element of consent. I'd say in the swingers community, we found that that was really prioritized. Whereas in the kink scene, it wasn't really, they said they were, but it wasn't, we weren't seeing it in practice. Um, But then at Hedo, uh, it was, yeah, it was a much freer feeling of, um, of 
just I think also being with your partner for me that well, was a, yeah. bi- a, a big switch for me was that this was something that we could do together as opposed to me going off on my own and bringing home stories or or energy or whatever it was uh it was we realized this through swinging it was something we could do together because swinging we had uh, like many others mistakenly characterized it as something for older people and i think that's only because when people get older they realize life is short why not have fun they've just figured it out doesn't it's not age specific it's just that they have the wisdom to to make fun decisions right (laughs) I like that. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> and we figured it out early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. It feels like we were in our one a little. Yeah, like, I was I still know. in my 20s when we went to Hito, and I was like, you know, I, I feel we we were at Young Swingers Week specifically, um, and we realized that it, swinging is not age specific at all, and does not need to be. No. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a big turning point. I think the the kink scene really scared me away from um, wanting to engage with the community. And I, I was able to convince myself that it wasn't something that we needed or something that I needed. Um, and again, practiced in private with individuals who were, who were never part of the lifestyle. And so they weren't good partners. Um, and we had a boyfriend during that time, but again, yes, we were, yeah. and, and did polyamory, but it was still very, uh, still a lot of stumbling blocks there. Um, and so, yeah, when we went to Hito, we realized we have been suppressing how much we want this to be part of our lives. And that was really cemented when we were at, with uh, luxury lifestyle vacations in Paris just last month. Uh, we went on a week-long swingers cruise uh, through France and just had the time of our lives and met, met so many amazing people, made great friends. It wasn't even the most sexually charged week we've ever spent, but it was very affirming. We felt like we could be ourselves. We didn't have to hide the flirty, sexy part of ourselves. We right. didn't have to... Uh, answer all the same questions about what non-monogamy is and, and make excuses for it, rationalize it to people who have already made the decision about what it is. Um, and we could just be free in a way that uh, not having a community doesn't enable you to be free. So I think that that was um, also why I decided to start writing about it more was because I I want this to be part of my life in a way that's honest to who I am and, and has been building for, for over a decade. Um, and I'm, I'm tired of pretending it's not who we are, who I am. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that I, I know we have questions about your journey, (laughs) but right now, so you went on this trip to the swingers cruise in Paris right now, what do you see your, like, how do you, I guess, See, what does your relationship structure look like at the moment as far as what? Yeah, I I guess. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, Yeah, we've been talking about this. Um, I think I I just say ethically non-monogamous. I go with the biggest umbrella term. Um, We with COVID, it's a little tough uh, to actually practice anything, um, especially with rising numbers. But we. I, I mean, we, d- we dabbled in polyamory. I found that I just don't have the time or energy for it, <laughs> uh, to have fully fledged other relationships. They're not out of the question. It's just that I don't see myself yeah. uh, having the capacity for that. I, I travel a lot for work and I've always told Michael, if, you know, if you want to have another girlfriend or whatever, go for it. But it doesn't seem like something you want either. No, no, I'm not. The, like I, like I was saying a minute ago, like I'm, I'm mostly interested in the, the, 
kind of freedom festival aspect of it. So we, we love not, traveling for events. That's yeah. kind of our favorite uh, part of this so far is going to France, going to Jamaica to join these groups. Um, we don't have as much experience with, with parties at people's homes because we live in Montana and it's not as big of a thing here. Of course it exists, but not in the way it does in, in major um, right. metropolitan areas. So, yeah, I, I don't know. So it's interesting because on this swingers cruise, we recognize that there, there was a lot of uh, older folks that fit the, the stereotypical uh, structure of swinging, which is couples swapping either soft or full. Uh, but it is a, a partner exchange. Both couples are present. Um, and, and then both couples leave together. What we noticed among the, the younger crowd, which is probably 45, 50 and under, that was that they were a little bit more fluid, but they still identified as swingers, but their, they were, their partners were doing one-off, uh, hookups or, or go, or one would go off with another couple, or it was, it was not fitting into the traditional swingers setup. And so I've actually been trying to develop a term for young swingers that identify as swingers, but aren't doing swaps necessarily, because I find that these people, there's still a strong, um, central relationship dynamic. So just like we have where there is a hierarchy, because a lot of people are non-hierarchical polyamorous. That's not how we are. And that's not how a lot of these young swingers are. They're still a very strong, stable, central couple. Um, but the behavior doesn't fit it might fit open relationship. There might be an aspect of polyamory. There's an aspect of swinging. So I think there needs to be a new term to encompass this, this, uh, dynamic. Yeah. And that's what we are. <laughs> so I don't have the term yet, but yeah. I am planning to figure it out because it's, it is this new evolution of swinging specifically, um, that does not fit the swinging mold, but it, it, it is stemming from it. So I have to figure out what, the, what to call that. <laughs> Well, it's a good example of the fact that labels are just a start to the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, huh? And that's what I advocated in my article with Cosmopolitan was that because the language is still developing, because there's also not a lot of agreement on what certain terms encapsulate or even like the symbols that we use to call to one another, the pineapples, the black rings, it's not, not everyone knows that not everyone right. and not everyone agrees with it. So I think like I said in that article, um, just ask what it means for that person because they, they might use the same term but have a different answer than someone else who uses that same term. So you need to be, you need to be communicative no matter what, and that's a great way to start. What does it mean when you say you're non-monogamous? What does it mean when you say you're polyamorous? What does it mean when you say you're in an open relationship? Because right. it can mean... Yeah. And like if you go to someone and say you're a swinger, and they, to them that means they are a couple swap. Um, no, no blending, no, no blurred lines there. And then another couple, like we would say we're swingers, but it does not limit itself to swapping. So yeah, that, that communication is essential. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's well said. And I think the uh, kind of, I know we have, in order to ask this question, I have to go back to a label, but <laughs> you, you mentioned you had a boyfriend for a while mm -hmm. and you kind of delved into the polyamory. How, like, Maybe could you talk about that experience and how you went from sort of this amorphous swinging <laughs> open to like now we're we you found yourself with a boyfriend and like that's a big yeah. that's a big change that's a big step that's a lot to navigate that's that's not just hooking up that's feelings right. that's a lot of emotion right um, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on this as as well as mine because it was again something that I brought to the table. 
um, and that you then had to deal with in its own way. Um, it happened very naturally. It wasn't something I set out to do. Um, I was going to Iceland and asked for advice online and then got to talking with someone who was giving me advice um, and found that there was a very strong connection, strong romantic connection. I always tell people, especially with when they're new to non-monogamy, that feelings happen. You, you can say, you can set boundaries for, you know, you're not allowed to have feelings. Okay, that's you can't help that you can stop engaging with someone when you have feelings that was never our agreement no Um, feelings happen and basically when i noticed that i was having them i told him i said i'm having feelings for this person that i'm talking to can i should i keep talking to him um you know what how do we navigate this and basically you said keep talking and see where it goes and then it turned out that all three of us had a really strong connection together um and while the two men were not bisexual. There was still a strong asexual romantic connection. Um, and I, I do believe in polyamory that it, you can have, uh, just as valid platonic relationships, uh, that, that are part of your polycule. So, uh, in, in this case, yeah, all th- the two of them had a really strong romantic connection and this developed over a long time. And I went to Iceland on my own and then you went to Iceland the following year and a lot of it was long distance and, and Skyping and um, relying on technology to stay connected. But it basically, I was just honest from from day one that I recognized that I had feelings um, with both of them. And uh, we just went from there and let it develop naturally. But it wasn't something I set out to have. Um, and it's And it was rewarding, but it was still a lot of work. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, to, to kind of answer your question about how do we go from what we were to, to this, which is a big jump, I think it was kind of just that we were, we didn't have any specific guidelines beforehand. You know, this was, yeah. uh, we will see where it goes and we'll, you know, take each new opportunity, challenge, whatever it is individually and address it as it comes along. And, you know, because we, we are all, like we, we change as people or we, you know, may have not discovered something about ourselves or whatever. And so I, when, when, when you brought it up, it was, it seemed like, yeah, sure. Like let's, you know, that I, I don't dislike him. So I, I have no reason, like, I don't, I have no reason to, to say that I don't think this is a good idea. I, um, I think the, the biggest obstacle that we would have run into was time management, which a lot of polyamorous people report being one of the most challenging aspects of, of being poly. But because he was in Iceland, he was asleep by the time I got home from work. So my nights with Michael were always dedicated to him. And then during the day, I could talk with both of them. Um, and it, that I think that helped was that no one felt like they weren't getting my time. Uh, I felt like I wasn't getting my time because it was really hard to give it to two right. other people at 100%. But uh, it, our agreement has always been just be honest, just be communicative if something's going on, just don't hide it. Otherwise, uh, in any aspect of the relationship, whether we're talking about other people or whether we're talking about the chores that need to get done around the house, uh, that honesty has to be first and foremost. So I've always, we've always operated as just, just tell me what's going on and then we will deal with it. Um, and I think that's how we took it at that, with that relationship was just, Oh, I'm having feelings for this person. Wow. I really like him too. What should we do about that? Well, let's go visit him and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and with him exactly. involved in that as well. But um, 
in terms of how that was for us, I think that the biggest challenge was, uh, you know, when you have a third as opposed to, or when you're in a thruple as opposed to, you know, having a unicorn or something like that, uh, the, the equity becomes redistributed and it's, it's supposed to be, you know, in a polyamorous situation, that hierarchy shifted, um, without us being the central couple anymore. Now there was a central thruple where everyone's needs were equal. Uh, and that was a, interesting to navigate, but I actually really, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it, to me, it was like when we had our, I mean, it's not nice to compare people to animals, but when we had our first dog, I thought, you know, how could I ever love another dog? And then we got a second dog and I fully love both of them at the same amount and in their own different ways, they're different dogs. <laughs> and so it's similar with, I'm glad with, I'm a dog. I know. <laughs> it's, it's just, I think when you get a second dog, I, a lot of times people use a comparison to children and they get upset about the comparison of non-monogamy to children, but that (laughs) your your heart has the capacity to be full in ways you don't even that, that are infinite. And I found that that to be true in a thruple scenario that what I, when I couldn't imagine that love existing for someone else, it did. And so we just talked about it and then rolled with it. And Michael, do you you mind talking a little bit about the, asexual or non-sexual but still a romantic connection like the connection you had with yeah. with this other person because i think that's that's not something we've really heard before and i'd love to hear a little more about what that looked like and how how the three of you navigated that you know it was it, it was something i'm like i've never even like heard of or thought of before um because i mean frankly i uh, we we were like it's a little hard to describe because we were, we were like very good friends, but also like a little more than that, but also not in, it was, I'm wondering if the term, so when we were on this luxury lifestyle vacations cruise, the owner used the term family, friend and family. Like you have this connection with people that is like a brother or sister, but because of the sex component that implies incest. So he changed it to family, like friend family. Does that term, feel appropriate with him? Yeah, I think so. I mean, or it's like a strong familial yeah, bond. I, it, but it was not it was, incest way. <laughs> yeah, it, it was exactly a hundred percent. It was like, he was my bro, but it also wasn't weird <laughs> that we'd have threesomes. Uh, so I, I like, it's honestly something that I've been thinking of or that I like, since it ended, I've been thinking about a lot because I've been trying to figure out exactly kind of where my feelings lay because they it really was a very different thing like i with normal i shouldn't say normal with with non uh, or with monogamous folks i don't think i'd ever have like a threesome with my best friend like that right. is weird but like with this it wasn't at all but we were like there's a very very good friends but a little more than that and it was there's yeah. a level of intimacy that i find among non-monogamous people that monogamous people like you're saying i can't access that with my monogamous friends with my vanilla friends it's it's just not there because they don't really know the real me and so yeah i would never have a threesome uh, the idea of that with a with a vanilla friend is is uncomfortable for me but the idea of having a threesome with someone in the lifestyle who you've come to know and become close with is really a wonderful thing to imagine because that level of intimacy is just higher. And even though it's not necessarily, um, there might not be feelings involved. I think with our, with our guy in Iceland for you, 
I mean, what were those feelings? Was it like the feeling of having a crush? Maybe no, not no. at all. Okay. Actually, so it was like a familial. Yeah, that, that's that's what I was saying. Was that like it was a level above a friendship, but it was not really a like romantic kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It was like this is someone who I'd like to spend a lot of time with, um, and and hang out with, and do sex things with, but also <laughs> not just him. And so it was it was certainly something that I. I mean, to this day, I'm still like a little bit figuring kind of exactly how I felt because it was never negative and it was never awkward or weird, but it, it like, he's kind of the only person that I've ever like really, really felt like that with. Yeah. Um, and he was the only, I mean, that was the only throuple that we've been in. So and I don't know. I wonder if there's some aspect of the fact that Icelanders culturally are very open. They're very accepting. Like we were able to walk down the street, all three of us holding hands and people never looked at us weird. They're very accepting of, uh, one, they're very feminist as a culture and that they're just very accepting of open sexuality and they're comfortable with their bodies and they're comfortable talking about sex. It's, it's almost like the lifestyle and the way that we all talk to each other is at at a surface level ingrained into who they are. And so I wonder if the fact of just simply his culture made it easier to generate that intimacy and to experiment with this new relationship dynamic because uh, simply because of where he's from, you know, I I think that there's probably something to that. Um, And we certainly learned a lot from that about the openness of other cultures to things that had previously made me feel shame. Um, It was pretty cool to be in Iceland and not, have to hide who we were from the general public, you know, but yeah, for, for you, um, I think it was definitely new. Yeah. You yes, okay? it was. <laughs> You're not saying yeah. anything. No, well, you were still talking. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Like you, like it is something like you said, it's taken years to try to, um, even still now, like figure out what, what was that relationship and, and what, how did I feel about it? And you may, I don't know, that's part of the journey. Exactly. Exactly. That was the thing was that like, it, it was like a huge bummer when it ended for me. Yeah. Like a huge bummer, like more than normal, like, Oh, I, you know, friendships come and go all over the place. And this one was like, felt like a breakup, you know, like it was really like a big deal. And so I, it, it, it was odd because it, it felt platonic, but not at all at the same time. It was like platonic plus plus. Which is like having a brother, except for the implications. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's the thing. I'm an only child, so I've actually never had any siblings. So I don't know what that's like. And I don't know if I really want to like dive into that. That yeah. might be a little, like, get a little weird. So um, I'm going to, you know, not, not necessarily deal with that. But I think that it was... It was like a, a, a very, a bond that we had to our core, I think is a kind of the, like the best way to describe it. And even though it's a little gen- generic and vague, it was something that we like really connected on, uh, or, or rather we really connected as people. Um, and beyond your mutual interest in me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it wasn't just that I was in this because she wanted to, it was like, Oh, this is like a, someone that I want to spend a lot of yeah. time with. And I think, a relationship dynamic like that, again, I don't, I wouldn't even endeavor to seek it out. I think it happened so naturally and was such a natural fit, even though the relationship didn't, didn't, uh, continue beyond a few years. It, uh, it, it, it came about in a way that felt natural for all three of us involved. 
Um, and sometimes it's just about letting the course, the nature of things take its course. So right. that's, that was essentially how we approached it was checking in. How is this feeling for you? What are you feeling about this? Um, what do you want to change? And just letting it, yeah, trying to go after what felt good about it. Right. Yeah. And how, not to like pry super deep on that, but like, I know a lot of people here like, oh, well, it, re- it ended, obviously it ended because it's not monogamy and yeah. whatever. And you, you, you guys probably leveraged your couple privilege and all of these different sure. things right. that people here. Assumptions. Assumptions, right. How, like, do you mind talking a little bit, like how did it end and like, how have you been able to like handle that in a way that was maybe felt as best as possible for everybody involved, knowing that it's going to hurt. Well, I think monogamous and non-monogamous alike, there's no guarantee that a relationship will endure. And I also reject the notion that relationships need to endure to be meaningful. Um, Mm -hmm. My parents were married for eight years or so. They had my sister and I, and then they divorced. And do I think that their eight years together was meaningless? No, they had, they created me. They created my sister we exist because they had an eight year relationship. And I think that, um, the, the notion that divorce or relationships ending is bad. comes from a moralistic religious background. And, um, as a modern person who, uh, I don't, I reject, I just reject the idea that, uh, relationship needs to last forever for it to be valid or meaningful. I know plenty of relationships that should not continue, uh, and yet are. And so it's, uh, I think that it's important to live in the moment. Nothing is guaranteed. If you're enjoying your time with someone else, nothing about your future is guaranteed one way or another, whether it's the relationship ending or, or an act of, uh, of nature ending you. So <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, to, to kind of piggyback onto what you were saying that, yeah, it, for us, it ended because we simply, ultimately weren't as compatible as we thought we were and we lived in different contexts yeah with the with the with the the long distance and with all of that we kind of all of us decided that it was you know that that it wasn't necessarily super fair to him because we were together in Mm -hmm. in america and he was by himself and yeah we don't know if he i don't know if he wanted to go do other stuff or whatever but it was it 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 just kind of fell apart because of circumstances and because of the nature of the relationship. You know, it was, it, it, it was a good relationship, but yeah, we, it, we enjoyed our, our years together. Um, but the, yeah, the long, the logistics of long distance, we were having to travel to see each other, which was very cool. We got to go to Sweden and Finland and all sorts of places to right. see him, but we weren't getting to see each other very often. Um, you know, having to juggle work with, with making time for him during the day was, was a challenge for me. And, and, and like a lot of relationships, there was just a lack of compatibility at the end, I think in large part, because we weren't able to be together in person to foster it. So I I do think, you know, there may have been some, uh, couple privilege for sure, but that was more a matter of, uh, of where we were physically located as opposed to, uh, the equity of that we had distributed amongst ourselves. Um, and it, and it, and then it ended. Um, he was also a couple years younger than me. And so he was at a slightly different stage in life. Um, and I think that's what I was trying to get at with the compatibility thing. If we were able to be together in person now, I'm, I'm sure that we could make it work again. Um, but I think I found that being in person is very important. Uh, and we were not able to do that. 
Um, but I, I would say for anyone thinking that non-monogamy is uh, the reason why a relationship would end, I, I would be surprised at where they got that information because monogamous relationships end all the time as they yeah. should. And it, it's yeah. a healthy thing to, to uncouple consciously. Um, I like to think of it as chapters in a book. Um, our Iceland boyfriend was a, a wonderful chapter in a very long book. And we ended that chapter and moved on to the next book chapter, which didn't involve another person. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think it's easy to look at non-monogamy and say that that's a relationship killer or that you're going to meet someone else and leave them, but you can meet someone else without dating them and still leave. <laughs> Anything can happen in any relationship. Um, and you just got to live life while you're alive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to your point, like friendships and other, yeah. like even familiar, familial relationships and stuff can end for right. whatever reasons yeah. and like morph over time and change. And like, it's, they're all relationships. Yeah. Right. They're all valid. Right. And they're, they all can provide meaning in some way, you know, sometimes a, a negative relationship, uh, an abusive one, you could learn something. Obviously that's more of a silver lining, but if you, if you, you know, spend a few years with someone, maybe you have some good memories some good times, some good things that you were able to do, um, that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I, I say, I don't, I don't think just because a relationship ends that that means the time was wasted. Um, we all come into each other's lives for a reason and, and leave for a reason. And it's, it's all good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all that too. Yeah. There's um, one thing you've mentioned multiple times throughout this interview was uh, around working through the shame that you have had. And I wanted to touch on that um, to see if you could, I guess, talk a little bit about how you have worked through that, because that's something that uh, I think is pretty common in a lot of people um, navigating non-monogamy. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's a huge issue um, when you come from any standardized idea of what monogamy is supposed to rather what relationships are supposed to look like when you're growing up, at least from my background as a Californian, as a American, um, is that they're supposed to be monogamous. You're supposed to be with one person until you die and that's it. Um, and so when I started having these healings, as I mentioned, really as early as <laughs> the second we started dating, um, I, I knew there must be something really wrong with me and that persisted for years. There's something wrong with me. I'm abusive to you for asking for this. I'm a bad person because I've acted on it. I am, I'm just going to grow out of it. It's just a phase. I have to get it out of my system. All these different ways of, of trying to rationalize something I didn't want. I didn't want, I wanted to be normal, quote unquote, normal. I wanted to be monogamous. I wanted to be the person who wants to get married and have babies and buy a house and all these things that I, I still don't want. Um, I, I love my travel lifestyle. I, we still don't want children. I, you know, I, there's a lot about my life that I like. That's not, does not fit into a typical framework. And, um, I think in terms of working through it, uh, finding a good therapist was, was a good key to having someone to talk to someone who was experienced with, uh, non-traditional relationship dynamics to help me understand that uh, there's nothing wrong with not fitting into a relationship mold, uh, but also really finding community. I think finding people who showed me that they were normal in every sense of the word, uh, other than they also like to go beyond their their relationship for 
sexual fulfillment or uh, romantic fulfillment, uh, that there was, uh, if there was nothing wrong with them, then there was nothing wrong with me. I think being just exposed to models of relationship dynamics functioning in a way that, um, you know, quote unquote, society at large says shouldn't work was really helpful. Uh, but it really did take years and years for me with through therapy and exposure. I think for me, the big thing was finding my kind of truth in all of this. So I was, it, it, while we were still figuring everything out and, and going through everything, it was a lot more shameful for me because it also didn't feel a hundred percent correct. And so it was, it, I was, or my mind was able to kind of be infected with the, <laughs> the, the thoughts of like, Oh yeah, this is bad. Or you're not supposed to do this, like that kind of thing. But then once I, once I got closer to how I actually want to practice this and, and like what, what pieces of the lifestyle do I like? Like, what, what am I after? It all kind of clicked for me in terms of this is like what I, how I want to live my life. And it simply felt so true to me that I kind of felt like I didn't have room for shame, which is, which is nice. I don't, I, I, now getting to that point, like you were saying, it did take a long time because I was searching so long to figure out where I kind of fit in everything. And, and if, for my part, I was also dealing with the internalized misogyny of women aren't supposed to be interested in sex. Um, and I was the one initiating all of this. And I felt like there must be something wrong with me in that way too, that I wanted sex, that I wanted um, a really active, interesting sex life. That was supposed to be something he wanted, not me as a woman. That's, that's not what we're here to do. So I had to work through so much of that. Of course, my, my family's lack of understanding and then ultimate acceptance was, was helpful. Um, but that, that lack of understanding was difficult because my family had such a problem with it. Um, and I ha- I still work through that. I still have to deal with that. And I have to be careful about, you know, when I can speak openly about these things. But I, I do think it was honestly going to Hedo and being around people who at no point ever questioned our lifestyle um, that made me feel like I had nothing to be ashamed of. Just simply being around accepting people. Hedo for me really wasn't about the sex. It was about community. It was about being around people that I could just be myself in front of. And so as we've continued to pursue those sorts of uh, experiences and community, uh, we, that has been reinforced that there's nothing shameful about this. In fact, it's really fun and it's, and it's okay to be yourself, even if that self doesn't look like what um, society has laid out for you to look like. So um, I'm still working through it. I still have to deal with it, but I think mates making sure I prioritize spending more time among non-judgmental sex positive communities allows me to spend less time in my shame um, and get comfortable with being outside of it. And that's been really helpful for me in the, in recent years. I think writing about it, (laughs) part part of what has made it easier for me now that I've kind of found more of my truth in it is that I, it, it, it has felt so good for me that I almost feel like I don't want to have, it, it's not worth having shame over. Yeah. Like if, if people can get over whatever biases they have or whatever it may be, they might try it. It might not be for them. They might hate it or it might be as awesome for them as it is for me. And how, like h- how much of a part of me that it, it feels like is I, I kind of feel like I need to shout it a little bit <laughs> to like get other people more excited about it. I mean, like I love what you guys are doing here is that this is, 
it, like we've said at the beginning and kind of throughout the whole thing is that this is such a, um, a thing that's been, that's judged so hard that I kind of feel like I need to reverse that. And the, this, there's, there is nothing wrong with it. It's, and it's absolutely amazing. Like the amount that it has improved my life and my self-esteem and like everything. I'm like, this is like, this is amazing. It's actually a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think having as a writer, having a platform to share that beauty and that transformation has been really helpful for me. Um, and I think for both of us, since I, you know, I obviously don't write about him without his consent and involvement in the storytelling, but, um, there was a, a large moment of, uh, should I write about this publicly? Do I want to be out with my full name attached to these very sometimes graphic stories about my, my non-traditional sex life? And, uh, cause I used to keep a column under a fake name and I thought that's good enough. I can write about these things without attaching myself to it. And then I thought, you know, I think back to that 19 year old with no resources and no language around non-monogamy. And what did she need when she embarked on this journey? What pain could she have avoided? if she simply had people to model what this could look like for her. And so I'm trying to be that person uh, because I know there's other young people out there who are stumbling and making mistakes and potentially ending otherwise healthy relationships or, or not having fulfilling experiences until much later in their lives because they simply don't have a model for it. And so that choice to write about it was really hard. I remember the day that some of my earlier stories were supposed to go live. I was hyperventilating. I was stressed. I was, I was really freaked out. And, and then I did stop for a while because my, my family was unhappy with the, with the publishing, but I still thought, you know, uh, this is my sexuality. This is, uh, who I am at my core. And every day that I hide it does myself a disservice, but the, the community at large, a disservice as well as well, because like what we were talking about, our stories are misrepresented by people looking for a quick, uh, clickbait type of thing. And, uh, it also gives me a chance to work out and through my own shame. Um, and now I'm at this point with writing about it where I feel very confident about it and very sure of what I'm doing because it, it is just the truth. Um, and there is nothing wrong with it. And so the more that I engage with readers and with uh, people who are curious, you know, I always get messages from friends after I post these stories, friends I didn't know were interested in the lifestyle, people I've known a long time who come to me as a resource. Um, and I'm able to connect with them. And suddenly our friendship, again, becomes more intimate when we have these conversations. So the more I put myself out there, the more that I offer myself as a leader, um, I think the more it can help people simply because we, we don't have much representation. And we're, it's growing thanks to you guys with this podcast, thanks to other people in this space who are, who are creating resources, but, um, it's still, there's still a lot of secrecy. There's still a lot of judgment and, uh, that stigma is only going to go away if those of us involved actively try to break it. And so I'm doing that and breaking my own shame at the same time. So I would say right. that to listeners, it can be a long process, but I can't imagine if I decided this is too much. This shame is too much. I'm just going to live with the shame and think back to, to 10 years ago, if I was still living in that much shame, how much worse off my life would be. So even though there has been pain along the way, I'm really proud of myself for working through the shame because I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live in fear about anything in my life. And it has informed uh, adventure and exploration and other aspects of my existence that uh, 
maybe I wouldn't have had the guts to do if I wasn't always working on um, cutting through this shame. So I would say to people who want to figure out how to do that, just be patient and kind with yourself. Get a therapist, a sex-positive therapist, and uh, and just keep working at it because it, it can take a long time. People see us and say, oh, you must not have any jealousy. You must not have any shame around it. It's just a daily process to to not let it win, really. Yeah, completely agree. Jealousy is not a problem for us, but yeah. the shame thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I was jealousy. like, jealousy is a whole yeah. other topic yeah. we yeah. could always yeah. dive into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, it's a good question and it's an important one. But um, yeah, just keep doing yeah. our best. Yeah, well, thank you for that and for, for everything you've shared so far. I think we'd love to give you each a moment. Like, if there's anything we didn't talk about that you both want to talk about, um, and and get out there. And also, Ali, if, if you want to plug any of the yeah. work you've done and how people can find you. Is there anything you want to add? Um, go ahead. I'm, I'm trying to think. I think just um, kind of to the to the topic of, of shame and, and starting out. You know, I know there's a lot of people who are curious. And I think um, consume all the resources that you can follow leaders in this space and and, and just be patient with yourself. It's like, like our experience shows, it's not something that happens overnight might be a conversation you have, and then you don't broach again until seven months later. Um, so being patient with yourself, being patient with other people, especially because when you are starting to evolve, involve other people in your relationship, they don't want you bringing drama either. (laughs) Um, so it does require a certain level of knowing yourself and, and trusting your partner. Um, if that's what you have, but, um, yeah, this is something I'm still working on every day, even many years later. Um, it's it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. <laughs> there is no end goal. They're just to enjoy yourself and enjoy your life, and and in our case, be true to yourself. Um, if this is who you are, it'll come out one way or another, and it's better to come out in an ethical way. Um, and it's more fun because non-monogamous people are awesome and fun, and <laughs> they have great trips going on. Um, and, and cruises. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Are you? Are you yeah, done? go, no, go I, ahead. I would. I would say that that one thing I definitely would like to add is that if this is something kind of what you like, what you said, if this is something that's new for you, try your hardest to look past any of the negative emotions around it, or at least examine why you're feeling them. Um, because that was, like I said in the beginning, that was my biggest barrier when I when we started to this was like feeling like this was that, that I was wrong for doing this and it got in the way of my enjoyment of any kind of lifestyle for a while. And ultimately once I, I kind of learned to just disregard that. And like I was saying before, I realized, you know, this is kind of my truth. This is what I have to live. It, it, it was so, so worth it. Like, not just like, Oh, this was kind of, you know, it's a wash. Like this really was like the, the jackpot kind of. And you know, with just a little bit of self-reflection, you're able to get there. Of course, if this is for you, it might not be yeah. for you. I think it, it's, it's worth taking the time to examine whether your negative feelings around ethical non-monogamy are yours or society's. Um, because if they're societies, then you can disregard them and have a lot of fun. And if they're yours, it's an opportunity for self-examination and growth. So either way, you're going to get something out of uh, even considering ethical non-monogamy for yourself. But uh, once you shed society's expectations of what your life is supposed to look like, whether it comes to 
comes to relationships or money or travel or work or creative expression. Um, once you're outside of what society's expectations, life can just be a lot more fun and a lot more your own. So I always encourage people to, to practice with that. Um, as for where you can find me writing about this, I'm a, I'm a journalist, a freelance journalist. I predominantly cover ethical non-monogamy for Cosmopolitan magazine. Um, but I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter talking about these things. Um, my name is Allie Wonderman, A-L-I-W-U-N-D-E-R-M-A-N. Those are all my social handles and my byline. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out. I'm going to be covering this topic a lot more and, and answering kind of a lot of the questions that we talked about today. Um, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of overcoming shame and, and what jealousy even means and how to identify other people in the lifestyle and <laughs> all the sorts of fun things. Again, yeah. resources I wish I would have had when, when I was younger. I, I think actually that, that that's one thing that I'd like to add is that if you are getting into this, try to find resources because that was my, other than like dealing with the feelings around it, that was my biggest regret was not actually like diving into it. We didn't even know what to so. Google. Yeah, we so. didn't know to look for books, and podcasts didn't exist at the time that we started. Yes. And um, so can you consume. There are a lot of there's and, a lot of resources out there now, and if you're listening to this, that means that you've already tapped into a great resource. <laughs> but um, it's it's yeah, and and don't be afraid to ask questions. This is again communication is number one, and if you're wondering something, it's better to have your question answered than to continue wondering and then do the wrong thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, thanks thank for you. listening. <laughs> yes, yes, of course, and and thanks for listeners to list for listening as well. But <laughs> thank you both for sharing everything that you have today and for your kind words about our podcast. <laughs> of course, very nice, very nice of you. Um, and we really appreciate the work that you're doing as well to spread the word and um, get get other stories out there and other perspectives out there from your from your point of view. And so, thanks for everything and and coming on today as well. Yeah, thanks for having us. No, yeah, it's been fantastic, and I've enjoyed. I just enjoyed chatting, and you know, there's no secret to anybody listening that Emma and I love to travel, and so hearing about <laughs> how you travel and how you incorporate this into travel, and yeah, it's it's fantastic, and thank you for being a a, a spokesperson for it, and. We we're all it. in it together in, in traditional in, in true non-monogamous fashion we're all in it together right. yes <laughs> exactly. yes a great way to end yes. yeah. <laughs> so have a have a fantastic afternoon and we will we'll talk to you too bye soon. guys bye thanks for having us on and, and we're, we're back, back. <laughs> good job third time's the charm <laughs> but nobody knew that we did this three times until you said that anyway we call that behind the scenes <laughs> behind the, the scenes look at emma and finn anyway that's a euphemism <laughs> i know but i was gonna gloss, gloss over that a huge thank you to also a, could be a euphemism a huge thank you to Allie and michael for coming on the show and being vulnerable with us and sharing everything that you did and also Allie, thank you for the work that you're doing out there and all your writing as well um, we're so grateful for to talk to both of you and we encourage everyone to go check out the links in the show notes and check out some of her articles as well. Yeah, and I would just say her, her Instagram and Twitter handles are there. And if maybe you're not interested in reading the Cosmo articles about non-monogamy, uh, she has a ton of travel writing. Yes. She travels all over the world. Her photos are amazing. Her writing is amazing. Just check it out. She's amazing and we're super excited. So... 
kick ass. Keep Go kicking check ass. it out. Yeah. All right. What else, Emma? Well, a cu- quick reminder that on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, you can find information about our Patreon community, information about the virtual meet and greets and the in-person meet and greets. You can also reach out to us and find podcast show notes on the website. So go check it out and find all of that there. There's one place you haven't talked about on our website. I know. I was going to have you mention that. Oh, well, that's a great thing because <laughs> I was just a- Worst acting ever. <laughs> so the whole purpose of that horrible skit was <laughs> check out our resources tab uh, for our favorite way to get tested for STIs. If you are getting back out in the world and meeting people in the flesh and blood in the real life. In the real life. That was a little gory. If you're meeting people in real life, we would love for you to join us in being awesome sexual health advocates. The way that Emma and I do that is we use a service called Pizza. <laughs> We're on a roll today. STDcheck.com. There are links in the show notes that will save you $10 and help support the show financially. This is a service we use, we love. It's easy, it's simple, it's affordable. It's about $130 for a 10-panel test. You get your results in a day or two texted to you, and then you can go check them out in your online portal. And then you can share them with everybody you want to share them with who you're planning to share your body with. <laughs> yes. What do you think? Nailed it. Nailed it. So thank you in advance for uh, using the link, supporting the show, saving yourself $10, and getting the good word out there about sexual health and safety. Yes. Normalizingnamanami.com. Next week, click on the, well, not next week, do it this week. Click on the resources tab or again in your podcast show notes player, there are direct links that will take you there. Next week. Next week for real this time. We have an incredible interview with Wendy and Jenna. So you're going to want to come back, check that out. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw a spoiler in here. Okay. We've had people on the show who are in monopoly relationships. Yes. We've never been able to convince one of them to come on the show with both people, the, the monogamous person and the poly person. Until now. We did it. We had to bribe the hell out of them. <laughs> we didn't really. They were super awesome. And this is a, a fucking amazing interview. So we're really excited for it next week. Yeah. Come back one week and listen. I think that's it. That's all. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.